Well, good morning. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to be here uh, with you. Uh, you may recall that a few months ago, Andy and I were here uh, presenting a message uh, concerning the book of Proverbs. And it's a real honor to be here, especially at Freddie's dedication to present the message this morning. So I'd, I'd like to open with a question to start this message. If a family member or friend invited you to a baby shower, what gift would you bring? In the passage that was read, Mary and Joseph, they brought a sacrifice to fulfill Jewish law so that Mary could be ceremonially clean and so that Jesus could be dedicated to the Lord and redeemed. This was in accordance with Jewish law and custom. But Simeon, Simeon waiting faithfully at the temple courts, he did not need to bring a gift to this baby shower because he was holding the gift in his hands. It's God who showered the world with the greatest gift, his son, Jesus. So that through him, we can experience life and life to the full. Jesus was brought to the temple to be redeemed in accordance with Jewish law. But Simeon's prophecy proclaims that it is Jesus who is the Redeemer. Now this uh, message is in three parts. And the first part concerns the messenger. And I'm, Andy will now speak about the identity of Simeon. And for, sec for parts two and three, I'll consider what does Simeon proclaim about this child? And finally, what will people's reaction be to the Messiah? So I invite Andy now to speak about Simeon. So we're going to look at Simeon. Did you notice he was an elderly man? This message is particularly pertinent for anybody over the age of 60. <laughs> Did you know that most of the FTSE 100 CEOs are over the age of 60? My friends, there is hope for us. <laughs> We notice, first of all, that Simeon is described as righteous. That is, he lives right before God. He chooses to live as best he knows how to please God. And that should be our challenge as well. Furthermore, he is devoted to God. He is devout. He is a lover of God. Like David in Psalm 27, he delights in God. David wrote as follows, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Simeon had learned to live in the presence of God. And of course he invites us all, whether we're old or young, to do the same. 
You may have heard of Brother Lawrence, the monk who spent much of his life washing up pots and pans in the monastery kitchens. And people came from far and wide to receive counsel from him because he lived in the presence of his God. And washing up the pots and pans was part of his act of worship. And you may even have the little booklet he wrote, The Practice of the Presence of God. Something that we are encouraged to do, to live in God's presence moment by moment. Furthermore, Simeon is expectant. In fact, he is eagerly awaiting the coming Messiah. This is all the more astonishing because the prophets have been silent for 400 years. He wasn't put off by the brutality of the Herod Roman regime that was ruling Israel with such um, brutality at the time. He wasn't even dismayed by some of the corrupt practices of the religious hierarchy of the day. Instead, his face was turned towards God, and he was expecting the Messiah to come. I love this. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Perhaps that's a consequence of walking day by day in the presence of God. God wants us to live with the Holy Spirit resting on us, working through us. Is it astonishing to you that Simon happened to show up in the temple at the very moment when he was needed? Not only did the Holy Spirit rest upon him, but he was able to listen to that gentle Holy Spirit voice nudging him to say something or do something. In this case, go into the temple. And of course, he, he speaks prophetically. He has heard from heaven and he has the ability to speak forth something of God's word. And here is a challenge for us. God wants us too, like Simeon, to listen to God's voice so that we can be ready to speak it out to others. Some of us may feel this business of being prophetic is a bit spooky nonsense. Didn't Paul say somewhere, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy? And that is simply speaking forth God's word. When Nima and I were sitting at the kitchen table, debating to and fro, examining the passage, we were also praying, Lord, what is your agenda for Milford for today? I once went to my pastor, David Paulson, and said to him, how can I grow in the prophetic? He urged me to go to Westminster Chapel, where there was a school, a summer school of theology, which devoted, was devoted on that occasion to the exercise of spiritual gifts, especially prophecy in the world, in the church today. I have desired to hear God's voice. And he's not a God who hides himself away. Simeon was also a man who believed what God says. He was a man of faith. Does it surprise you that there he was holding the baby in his arms just as Freddie was held in the arms 
Uh, and Jesus doubtless looked like most other babies. But Simeon, with the eye of faith, could see that this was no ordinary child. This was God's promised one. And finally, Simeon was a worshipper. He took the child in his arms and he worships God. Thank you, God, for this gift. So, let's be like Simeon. Let's live in the presence of God. Let's choose to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Let's ask God to give us words from himself to speak to others. And it takes time to listen. Do you remember the one in the Old Testament who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that began the ministry of one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, namely Samuel. Back to Nema. Thank you, Andy. So now coming to part two of this message, the role of the Messiah, verses 29 to 32 of Luke chapter 2. So what does, what does Simeon say about this child, about who this child is? Verse 26, Simeon proclaims that this child is the Lord's Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. That means someone who's anointed for a special task. Many Jews had an expectation that the Messiah would be a military hero, someone who would achieve success in battle. And many Jews believed that this Messiah would liberate Israel from the oppressive Roman regime. But actually, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, and in the book of Isaiah, a different picture is painted about the role of this Messiah. Isaiah 42, 7, says that Jesus will open eyes that are blind. He'll free captives from prison and release those in the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Overthrowing the Romans would only have temporary significance. But Jesus came to deliver people from their sins. And this is of everlasting significance. He's the Messiah. Verse 30 of Luke chapter 2, the passage that we've read, Simeon also proclaims that this child is the salvation. And just as there are many names for God, there are many names for Jesus. Here we encounter one, salvation. So, you see, salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua. And Yeshua is also the Hebrew name for Jesus. Salvation, Yeshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Friends, salvation is 
a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's not a theoretical concept. It's not a formula. It's not abstract. It's relational. It's real. He is the one that saves us from our sins and has the power to change our entire manner of living. I invite you to consider Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus the tax collector. He had a a bad reputation for taking more money from people in taxes than was due. But this Zacchaeus, when he encounters Jesus in Luke 19, verse 9, he stands up and he says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back quadruple times the amount. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus came into his life and transformed his entire manner of living. So Jesus is the Messiah. He is the salvation. But verse 32 of Luke chapter 2. Simeon also proclaims that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. Many Jews believe that this Messiah, this political hero, would bring blessings to their nation alone. But Simeon makes clear, makes it clear that Christ has come and will save all who believe, Jews as well as non-Jews. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. No matter one's race, nationality, what you do for a living, your political views, Jesus is available for all, whether we're in Jerusalem or Guildford. He's a light to all nations. What about this phrase, the glory of Israel? Is Simeon, is he promoting nationalism? Is he saying that Israel should have pride in itself? What does this, what does this phrase mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation was called by God to be a witness to other nations, showing them what it means to have an intimate relationship with God and how to act justly in society, justice being particularly demonstrated in the treatment of foreigners. Other nations worship gods and idols, but Israel was a special nation. See, after the the Hebrew nation had come out of Egypt 
from slavery and were traveling in search of the promised land. In the book of Exodus, it's described that God supernaturally manifested to his people as a pillar of clouds by the day and during the night as a pillar of fire. So that whether by day or by night, the the Hebrew nation could travel with God going ahead of them. What other nation could boast of such a God? Only the living Lord was able to do such a thing for his people. But the Jewish nation, they were not an, an effective witness of what it means to be in a relationship with God. The religious priests of the day, the Pharisees, they were corrupt. They worshipped God with their lips, but in their hearts, they did not honour God. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus who's the true and faithful Israelite who shows God's goodness and glory. In Isaiah 28, 5, it's prophesied that Jesus will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. See, Simeon isn't promoting nationalism, that Israel should boast in its own national identity. Simeon is saying that Israel should boast in the Lord Jesus Christ for what he will do. So in part two, Simeon proclaims that this child, this baby, is the Messiah. He is salvation. He is a light of the world. He will bring glory for the people of Israel. What magnificent, what a magnificent prophecy. How will people react to this? It's coming to part three now of the message, the reaction to the Messiah. So verse 34, Jesus, this baby, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Jesus will be a divisive figure. What, when he preaches, it, will, it may be uncomfortable. With Jesus, there is no neutral ground. Either we joyfully accept him or we totally reject him. In Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus is described as being the cornerstone. The cornerstone. Now, in engineering terms, a cornerstone is a very important piece of a structure. A structure cannot stand without a cornerstone. And in the same way, for those of us who believe, Jesus is a foundation something that we can build our lives on. We're made complete with Jesus. But Jesus can also be a rock that will crush 
those who oppose him. You see, it's like Jesus' fire. Fire can be useful. It can give light. It can bring warmth. It can ward off predators. But fire can also be destructive. It can burn. It can destroy. Jesus will cause the falling and rising of many. Verse 35, Simeon also prophesies that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Friends, this is powerful. Jesus is fully human and fully God. And I'd like to illustrate this with an example from Luke's Gospel. In in Luke chapter 5, Jesus was in a room and he was preaching and a group of men lowered a paralyzed man through the roof of this house in order to bring healing for this man. Jesus heals the paralytic man and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, the Pharisees who were there, they think to themselves, who is this man? Who is this man to forgive? What is this blasphemy? Now they they think these things, but they don't express them. But Jesus, at verse 22 of Luke chapter 5, he says, he knew what they were thinking and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Jesus knows the thoughts of our hearts. When Jesus performed miracles, the reactions of people around him were mixed. The Pharisees, they went out plotting how they might kill Jesus. But the response of ordinary people is strikingly different. Ordinary people were amazed and gave thanks to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable, remarkable things today. Jesus is a lie that will illuminate and he's also a light that exposes. Jesus is like an ultraviolet light. See, when you put a banknote under an ultraviolet light, the value of that note and certain other markers, they glow. If you put a 20 pound note under a UV light, it will glow 20 and there'll be other markers. And you will know that that note is, is genuine. But forged notes, they don't show such markings. UV light exposes what is also false. Human hearts will be revealed when they speak of Jesus. Some cried, crucify him. But others like Peter proclaimed, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. So friends, when we encounter Jesus, how will we respond? What will the thoughts of our hearts reveal? So in closing, 
We cannot be neutral with Jesus Christ. Either we love him or we reject him. And going back to that baby shower image, it's God. It's God who showered the world with his greatest gift. Let's welcome this gift with joyful celebration. Let's draw near to the light of the world, welcoming salvation in our hearts. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24 say, Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to allow the truth of God's words to expose the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. So as we celebrate this Christmas, let's also pause. In fact, let's pause now in quietness. Closing our eyes and let's recalibrate our hearts before God in this moment of quiet. I'd like, I'd like to invite Andy now to uh, give the blessing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I liked that word, Nima recalibrate yeah that's really good and I think uh, that is something so maybe another word for confession as well that came to me when you were talking about that so sort of to recalibrate is to uh, is to confess you know we're not perfect but uh, yeah thank you for that message it's wonderful um, we're going to um, stand and sing a song, and for some of us it might be newish, but we've got we've uh, and for, but we have got a great uh, worship band here that they're going to lead us through it. So thank you. Let's stand and sing.